Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, guys, we have a, um, a, a kind of a hot topic today. Uh, well, I don't like to do too many of these, actually. And so if guys <laughs> have been following us, it's true. We are, we've been doing a lot of theological stuff and doctrinal yeah. stuff. Um, I, I think uh, we've just found people are generally very encouraged by covering topics that are, you know, just day-to-day important doctrinal, theological, practical things but our topic today, I think, is becoming very day-to-day and practical, um, and that's this issue of uh, patriarchy versus yeah. feminism, um, and specifically how it pertains to the role of women in the church, um, considering Titus 2 and what roles women can play or should play in teaching uh, other women, children, or other people. Um, it's a good conversation to be had. I think it's probably not one that's going away anytime soon is my suspicion. Um, but, but before we kind of get into, we're going to define some terms, at least how we're going to use them. Um, but before we get in, what's your general feel of sort of this, uh, what I'm going to refer to as hyper patriarchy. Yeah. Um, I, I, because I do think patriarchy is biblical, but right. w- what's your feel of the scene of this kind of stuff going on right now? Yeah, we're we're living in an age of extremes where we're seeing a lot of new extremes come out uh, from positions that uh, we would typically agree with. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say that biblical patriarchy is good. Um, complementarianism is, uh, and, and, and there are some people that have made some distinctions between complementarianism and, and biblical patriarchy. Look, the, the issue is this, the Bible prescribes male headship, right? And so we do believe that, but there are a number of accounts that we're seeing show up, uh, some that I've never seen before that, uh, just take it to an extreme of, um, really abuse, um, of women and, and some that are just taking positions of what women should and should not be allowed to do. Um, we have public figures like Ali Beth Stuckey and and uh, uh, and Meg Basham um, being criticized uh, for their ministries, and uh, you know. So I, I I think that's what we're seeing now, and and I think it's it is a it is a hyper position. I would agree with you, and it's one that we need to be careful about um, uh, about falling into the trap of, um, because we want to be sure that what we speak for that, you know, if we're going to draw a line in the sand, let's draw a line in the sand that is clearly a biblical line in the sand, not mm-hmm. not what we want it to mean or what we, you know, want to, or what we think it means so without going to the scriptures. Yeah, now I think that's a good point. And, you know, I think also Christians, you know, we've really got to guard ourselves. We're human, right? And our tendency is to um, not just respond out of emotion, but even just to think out of emotions, yeah. right? Um, and, and so maturity in handling these issues, I, I think, demand that we kind of take a step back, uh, put our, you, you know, you, you read a tweet, you read a Facebook post, uh, and that thing wells up inside you. I mean, I can't be the only one that this happens <laughs> to, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and in that moment, you, you've got to say, stop that. Right. What does the scripture actually say? I, yeah. I need to press that thing down. Um, and and sometimes 
you know, it's uh, it's a right response to something that's just very unbiblical and ungodly. Um, sometimes it's just such an opposing view, uh, or rather, sometimes it's just that we hold our view so strongly that mm. a differing view causes that kind of, you know what I mean, right? That that thing to rise up in you. And it's not necessarily a biblical response. It's just an emotional response because you hold your view so strongly. And when we speak and or teach out of that kind of uh, uh, emotional thing inside of us, I think often we, we're prone to error in that. Um, in fact, I would say almost always we're prone to error because at the very least, we're going to overemphasize something scripture doesn't overemphasize. Um, and, and so, we, and I think that's what we have here, right, with this issue. I, I would say, and we've talked about, uh, I mean, we have whole podcast on feminism, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, feminism is a real problem, yeah. right? It is a, um, a, a worldview that is totally antithetical to uh, biblical teaching. I also think we do have a real problem with feminism in our Calvinistic reform camps. Mm. Um, we, I see that too. And I think one of um, maybe the weaknesses of our own camp is we tend to not like to deal with that um, because they're in our own camp. Um, and so I, I think that's an issue too. Um, however, the, the right response is not what we're seeing now, which I referred to earlier as hyper patriarchy. And right. This is, this, this is common throughout history. Um, when the church starts to adopt, uh, erroneous views. So feminism, a large part of the, the, the the visible church right in the west has it fully adopted feminism i mean we see this in the southern yeah. baptist convention at right. least they're fighting over the issue right now um look at the pc the the pc usa the methodist church all of this so it is an issue and typically what we see in church history uh, and and maybe you can speak to this if you can think of some other examples eki but um when the church is trying to correct uh, errant doctrine the temptation that Satan always brings yeah. is to swing to the far side, right. which is equally <laughs> as dangerous. And that's that's kind of like all throughout church history, we see that pendulum swing from one extreme to the other, right? Yeah, and, and we do see that throughout church history. I mean, I think of just, for instance, the fundamentalist movement at the start of the 1900s. If we lived in the early 1900s, we would be on the side of the fundamentalists who affirmed the authority, the inerrancy of, of Scripture, um, but the fundamentalists were also um, overly legalistic on everything. And uh, there's even the um, even the church that I'm at right now, there was a, a legacy from um, decades back. It wasn't here when I got here, but uh, in the past, um, people were made to fill out cards that um, they will they will not dance. They will not go to, to go to a movie theater. They will not uh, drink certain drinks and all that. And, and that becomes a religion of legalism. But, yeah, you're right. Whenever we're trying to fight a certain heresy, we can we can make the mistake of going all the way to the other side. And in essence, we end up turning this into a black and white issue where it's either this extreme or that extreme when the reality is that scripture um, a scripture doesn't prescribe either extreme, right? I mean, and church history, I, it's funny, I just started teaching church history this past uh, Sunday. And one of the things I, I told our folks is that, you know what, church history reminds us that people were often affected by culture in ways that they didn't realize they were being affected. And then that's that's a lesson to us to constantly examine our own views, where we stand, the things that we believe, 
and then try to examine where it is that culture may be affecting us without realizing it. Because there's a lot of good and well-meaning Christians who I believe are truly saved. They understand the word. They they know the gospel. Um, but their thinking is in some ways affected um, by culture in ways that are unbiblical. And they've and those have just kind of stayed blind spots uh, for a while. So we always want to look for that. We always want to uh, guard against it. And uh, we, we want to be careful of making the errors that we're seeing, I believe right now, with what you're terming as the hyper-patriarchy movement. Look, within the conservative circles, there's no question that right now there's a lot of disagreements that are coming up um, between some of the uh, some of the conservatives on various issues. Um, but there is a hyper kind of movement that's that's coming up that um, that I think, you know, most of us would disagree with. Um, but it's it's unfortunately being used to um, to to slander, I, I think, what Jesus Christ really said, um, what what he truly mm -hmm. taught. And uh, for some who are on the left, they can easily make it as an example of, well, look, at this is what Christianity does. And and uh, they'll present a false slippery slope that if you believe Christianity, you have to believe this. So we yeah. always have to be on guard uh, for that and constantly question. You know, the, the book of James tells us to be slow to speak. All right. Um, quick to hear. And uh, mm -hmm. so we, we want we want to be that uh, when when issues are coming up and we're trying to address them, be thoughtful be biblical, um, and, and have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that you're talking to, um, to, to bounce things off of. Because theology was not meant to be developed um, in a room by ourselves uh, with no one else. Theology yeah. is meant to be yeah. de developed with a number of other people who also have the Holy Spirit and who are also walking in obedience um, along with the church. And, and and that's where iron sharpens iron. So those are all things that we want to be sure we are, we are doing. And, and this is all the more reason why the local church is important. Having good, solid biblical leadership is important. And when the church functions the way it should, um, it should guard itself from, from these kinds of extremes. Yeah. And I know this is kind of a long introduction, but I, I think, you know, for guys who might listen to this, who are on the side, we're calling hyper patriarchy, you know, I, I want them to know. And, you know, the guys who would not take that view uh, we're we're not attacking individuals here on this podcast, right? Um, what I want to do deal with is the, the the theological doctrinal issues that come from that, right? The position, the problems with the position, and I think it's helpful to understand that uh, we all either have had, have now, or will have views that are probably not aligned with Scripture because none of us are perfect, right? Um, and and so. You know, most of the guys that I'm familiar with, I would still consider to be Christian brothers yeah. um, and, and Christian sisters. And I, I think they're wrong in this area. Um, but, you know, I, I maybe maybe instead of treat them like the enemy, you just kind of treat them like the crazy uncle. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you, you still love them. You still want to be around them. Uh, you, you just, you know, when they get on that one crazy topic, you're like, oh, OK, Um but uh, that that was meant to be funny, and and it, anyway, but um, so let's jump into some definitions. So I'm using the term hyper hyper patriarchy to distinguish uh, between the re the fact that the Bible does teach patriarchy, you know, what you've talked about. So what is patriarchy? I read an article, uh, a couple articles now in the last couple of days um, that uh, tried to parse out definitions of things that. Be honest, they just weren't accurate. Um, 
patriarchy is a very simplistic understanding. It just basically means father rule. It comes from the Greek word uh, patriarchs. Um, and it's not complicated. It just means father rule. Now, I kind of have a different view of patriarchy and complementarianism than uh, a lot of people I've heard express. I think, um, and, and you can speak to this, Eki, I patriarchy is the system of father rule. That's what we see in scripture. Mm-hmm. It is an understanding that men are designed to ultimately lead. Okay, that's just kind of the simplistic understanding. I believe complementarianism then seeks to flesh out the details of how the relationships in a patriarchal system work between men and women. So I would argue that you actually cannot rightly separate these two things. Patriarchy is a system. Complementarianism seeks to define the inner workings within that system. At least that's how I've come to understand it. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and and it comes down to how we define what complementarianism is. Um, I haven't read in depth um, how John Piper and Wayne Grudem um, articulated uh, this position from the very beginning. Some have said that what they have argued is that men and women are essentially equal in almost everything. Um, but complementarianism says, though they are equal, have equal capabilities, um, they really shouldn't all pursue the same kinds of um, roles or, or functions because God has a design for us. And so we we separate men and women into distinct roles out of obedience to God, not because of necessarily the way he, you know, not necessarily because of of some inherent differences that God has created in us. Uh, and and I'm not sure that that necessarily needs to be the position of those who would um, would would cling to complementarianism or support comp- complementarianism. So I think what you've described makes sense to me. If we understand complementarianism just to mean the simple fact that men and women have distinct roles, and you don't go much deeper than that into saying that uh, well they have all the same abilities, they just have different roles and all that, then I think that uh, that explanation that you just um, voiced makes sense. Um, patriarchy, it's male headship, father rule, and then complementarianism goes to show that, hey, these are the roles that that we play. And those roles um, are equal in value. They're just not equal in function. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's interesting. If you actually read John Piper's work um, and you read Grudem's Systematics, um, I, I don't know how you could ever come apart thinking that... Um, they believe some of the things I've heard accredited to them. In yeah. fact, they don't. I think it's very clear. Um, it, you know, they would both take the view that men and women are equal in their person before God yeah. and yet have distinctly different roles um, that God has given. And so, uh, it, yeah. And then Piper, um, I, I mean, Piper even fleshes out things as far as in the civil realm. And so I, I, yeah, if if you don't understand um, their take on that, then I don't think you've read their material. I think they make that pretty clear. But again, it's not overly complicated. So, I mean, for the sake of this podcast, those are kind of the definitions that uh, that we're working on. Um, it, you know, and then this gets into theology, right? And so we, we get into the discussion. That was all kind of a preface to the issue of whether or not women can teach or do or participate in theology, all of these things. Um, And I just want to start out with a quote from R.C. Sproul because I love it. Uh, It's so succinct and so accurate. Um, He just 
says, anytime we think about a teaching of the Bible and strive to understand it, we are engaging in theology. Theology, right. Right. And so instantly, if you take the view, and and I have been reading this from uh, from people on social media, if you take the view that women should not be engaged in teaching theology, you the implication of that is that they shouldn't be striving to understand and communicate the things of the Bible really to anyone yeah. because they're doing theology. <clears throat> uh, yeah, theo- and- theology, yeah, and, and theology, the way you're describing it, and I agree, I mean, anything that's related to um, God and, and what he has called us to do is essentially theology. I, I think the argument from the other side would be um, women should only focus on the practical outcome of theology, not the teaching of theology itself. Um, that the problem, but with making that kind of division, is that if you're just teaching someone what to do rather than explaining why they're doing it, well, now you're just getting into a, a mode of of tasks, check boxes, do this, do this, do this, and do yeah. that. Well, it becomes um, moralism, it, right? Yeah, it, it's it's like it's like reading the Book of Ephesians, but only focusing on the last three chapters. Right and and yeah. not uh, and not taking those first three chapters. You know, Paul when he when he wrote his books, he typically started off with theology and then went into the into the practical applications of that. And he did that very intentionally because if he just goes straight into the practical applications, now you lose the motivation and the reason for why you're doing those things. Yeah. But by starting with theology, you you read through the theology, and if you understand it, by the time you get to the practical applications. It's like, a, oh, well, of course, this is exactly what we're supposed to do. So so it makes more sense when you understand the why. And it's just like parents, when you're speaking to children and children might ask, why should I do this? Why should I do that? Sometimes as parents, you just want them to do it. Um, but a lot of times, I, I would say this is probably true for all of us. Um, we can do a much better job if we understand why that job is important. Yeah. And you made a really good point there. The 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 why is so important that if you take that out, you no longer actually have Christianity. Because the why ultimately is always attached to the glory and honor of Christ. Right. And so you you can't separate those things. So let, let's just kind of jump into Titus 2. This is where this conversation always goes, right? Titus 2, and we'll try to hit as many points as I can think of to hit, and you'll bring up some as well, I'm sure. Um, But let's just talk about, uh, so let me go to Titus 2. I'm here. I want to just read this here. You go to verse 3. It says, so the whole little section here, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility to love their husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. Mm. When you look at this, so there is a group of people who um, would who, who have been saying things like, even uh, women teaching women to love their husbands and children, they, they don't need to be teaching them doctrinal theology, right? They don't need to be teaching them doctrine, they need to be teaching theology as such. Um, they just need to teach them how to love their husbands, how to love their children, leave the theology out. That role is for pastors, for husbands, etc. Well, when you look at this passage, I mean, the first thing that Paul prefaces what they're teaching here is the fact that they are teaching. Yeah. And and then he goes on to describe what? To be workers at home, to be kind, to be subject 
to their own husbands. Now, I want to jump to that phrase right there, subject to their own husbands. You cannot teach a woman how to be subject to her own husband without going back to Ephesians. Yeah, right. And the moment you do that, you are literally teaching theology. Right. Because you have to teach the woman why. I mean, just like you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to teach her why. So you go to Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife and Christ, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. So if an older woman is going to teach a younger woman how to submit to her husband, she has to come to this passage, or she should, right? Because you've got to point to the word of God as the authoritative source. But then you've got to teach, this is the reason you submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Yeah. And and it's right and necessary to explain the headship of Christ. Hmm. Um, and the moment you get into these, I mean, there's so much yeah, there's a lot actual there. theology, yeah. even on a slightly more academic level, if we just want to say that, uh, because I've been hearing people try to subdivide theology into different things. Um, but you've, you're getting into the headship of Christ. You're getting into uh, submitting for the primary desire of submitting to Christ. Mm-hmm. How on earth could a woman actually teach a younger woman to love her husband if she isn't doing in-depth real theology? Right. And and do, the reason why you submit, I mean, the, um, the, the main commandment, I would argue in that section, goes all the way back to verse 18, which is be filled by the Spirit. Right. So do not be drunk with yeah. wine, but be filled with or, or by the spirit. And at the end of that uh, section where Paul talks about the relationship between husbands and wives, what does he reveal? He says, well, marriage um, is really an illustration of Christ and the church. Right. So, I mean, I think in order to really do a, a full job of explaining to a woman why she is to submit, um, I think it's I think it's it's worthy. It's it's a good idea to point to the fact that, hey, your marriage is, is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. So the institution of marriage, which goes all the way back to Genesis, um, God started that from the beginning, um, is meant as a picture of what would happen when Christ came and died for the church and uh, sanctified the church with the with the full intention of being married to the church. We are the bride of Christ. So all of those realities, uh, very, very important realities, and yet those are very theological uh, realities. And, and this whole division between academics uh, versus um, pragmatics, I guess you might say. Um, this is um, this is more of a modern division because when you look at pastors in church history, there wasn't this division of uh, mm. a theologian versus a pastor. No, the pastor was a theologian. People yeah. were theologians, right? So we, we created this division because now we've got these kind of scholastic institutions and we tend to think um, that that these two worlds are, are different worlds when they're not. Um, the, the Bible teaches us um, these things that we study in the schools in order that we would glorify God in our lives. Um, so so to create that kind of division is it's um, yeah, it, it's just not it's just not in line with the intent uh, of God in writing the Bible. He didn't write the Bible so that certain parts of it would just be debated in academic institutions. Parts of it would be more practical towards towards our living. Yeah. You know, as I've been teaching through the uh, book of John, so I'm in I'm in John chapter 19, and in it we see the final stages of the 
kind of the, the trial that Jesus goes through before he's finally handed over to crucifixion. And as I was teaching um, the, the, the last uh, lesson that I had this past Sunday, I was pointing out that as we look at this, we're going to see all the different ways that our Lord Jesus Christ was unjustly treated. My goal is to increase your love for Christ. But in that case, as we're looking through that, my that that's exactly it. We're we're studying the life of Christ so that we would grow in our love, in our understanding of who our our Lord and Savior is. All of it is always um, is always applicable, even if there's not direct commands in, for instance, John chapter nineteen, in terms of how we are to walk. Um, everything that's included by God is included for the purpose that we would grow in our understanding of God, of Jesus Christ, and be able to walk more faithfully as we seek to glorify him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I mean, that is such a good, um, I, I mean, I think that's something we really need to understand today is that division, that it's it's really kind of a faux division, right? Just because of the way our society is set up. Um, if you go back, just go back to the Reformation. I mean, all of these guys were pastors, right? John Wycliffe, was pastoring, uh, Martin Luther, you know, all, all of these guys who were theologians. And so, yes, in our society, there's a distinction between what I would say a capital T theologian, uh, yeah. which just means you're a vocational theologian, right? Yeah. Um, uh, versus the theologian that every Christian is meant to be. In fact, if you're not a theologian, I don't, well, I don't think that's possible, but if you're not a theologian as a Christian, then it just really means you probably aren't studying your Bible. The way you ought to be. Um, And and so we've really got to come back away from that kind of mentality that it's almost, it it feels eerily Catholic in that for the longest time, the Catholic Church didn't want the people doing theology. They just wanted them to be told what to believe. Um, And and so this feels eerily similar uh, to that kind of mindset. Um, And and so, yeah, we all do theology every pastor is is a the, is a theologian and i would actually say every pastor is uh is a capital t theologian they're a vocational theologian if they're a good one um and and so yeah we can't make those distinctions i, I think it's silly um and you know by the way theology just very simply means a study of god right, right. theosology um, we're just talking about the study of God. So um, if if there are any convoluted definitions of theology, that's not that. It's just not true. Uh, like I said, I read an article yesterday that just butchered just plain definitions of words. And that was one of them. There was this convoluted definition for theology um, that just wasn't the definition. In, mm-hmm. in simplest terms, it's just a study of God. So anytime you open your Bible, as Sproul says, and you're looking to understand doctrines and study the character and nature of Christ or God the Father or God the Holy Spirit, you, you are doing theology. Um, and so now you get into systematic theology where we've divided the categories, but but that's still just yeah, still theology. theology. Right. It's just helpful categories. You know? Yeah, and, and um, to, to your point, uh, we're talking about um, wives submitting to husbands. We can talk about Christians submitting to the government. And in each one of those scenarios, uh, when we talk about submission to earthly authorities, whether it's wives to husbands or Christians to, to the government, what do we say? Well, you're to submit unless what? Well, unless you're called to disobey God, right? And if wives are not theologians, yeah. how are they going to be able to discern whether 
the husbands are actually calling them to disobey God or not. Because it's not it's not just a matter of this command says this and this command says that. Even submission to the government and trying to discern whether we're being called to sin against God or not requires us to think theologically about what the Bible teaches, right? Even uh, thinking in, in terms of situations in our workplace, ethics and all that. Christian ethics, just pick up a Christian ethics book. John Feinberg's got a great one. It's like 800 plus pages. And the reason why it's 800 plus pages is because as you think through ethical issues out in the world... You have to think very carefully and theologically about, about the implications of your decisions and why you would go one way versus the other. So even, even in knowing how to submit and when not to submit requires an understanding of uh, what the Bible teaches theologically. Yeah. And, you know, you just it just struck me as you were saying that it's interesting because a lot of the guys who are in this uh, side of women can't do any theology you know, it, the irony is that every time one of these women post things on Twitter talking about what you should or shouldn't believe or what you should or shouldn't be doing, it, literally you're doing theology. You're yeah, right. you, you're posting on a mixed platform. Look, I, I, I know in even guys with narrow circles might might vary in this a little bit, but I would say if you're posting on a platform that you know is a mixed audience, you're posting to a mixed audience, okay? You know that both men and women are going to see that. So especially for uh, the the folks, the, the ladies on this kind of hyper-patriarchy side, if you're telling other people how to believe the Bible, you're doing the very thing you're criticizing. Mm -hmm. yeah. you're, you're teaching right. theology. Right. And you're teaching right. theology not just to other women, but also to men. As I've mm -hmm. seen a lot of these women correct men. In fact, some of them have uh, attempted to correct some of the things I've said. And so there's such blindness there, I think, that there's unintentional hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think we, we need to be careful to not demonize these people. But, um, but that, I think, is just the fruit of having bad theology and having a theology that is largely, I suspect, um, emotionally driven, both by the men and the women, because I think the emotion that's primary is just very simply this: feminism and the worldly, uh, the worldly ways of thinking are pressing down on the church in our day and age in a unique way in our lifetime, and this is the overreaction, and and that's an emotional thing. Uh, but but they're doing the very things they're criticizing, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah, the, the um, rise of feminism, a lot of people will point to um, just the abuse of women from men through patriarchal systems. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, but just because there's a lot of truth in that doesn't mean that feminism is the right way. And we have to understand that any system that we pursue in this world is going to be flawed just because we are sinners. Um, there's yeah. always going to be sin in the world. Um, yeah, so we... we we look at these um, the, the systems, the reactions. Don't just think in terms of how do I combat something, but think in terms of how do I just glorify God? And, and is mm. the position that I'm taking, is it reflecting what's in the Bible? Is it, um, is it going too far? Um, and you know what? Humility in all of this. You know, I, I really appreciate uh, people on Twitter who I know are, are much slower to voice an opinion, but they're just seeking to try to understand. Um, they're they're truly seeking to have a discussion rather than than just uh, you know just just throwing their their opinions. And there are times where look, I, I'm dogmatic as well. You know, look, if you're going to attack the deity of Christ, there's really no discussion that needs to be had there. 
you know, I'm going to attack and I'm going to show you exactly what the scriptures say about that. But um, but there's a lot of issues that um, that are not primary or even secondary issues that yeah. I think really should require us to be a little bit more thoughtful and um, maybe even respectful uh, of the differences um, without making it into uh, making it into World War Three. Yeah. And, you know, we've all probably been guilty of crossing those lines. And and I think, um, you, you know, if we offer uh, the people with the opposing view the the same consideration we want, right, um, it, it would go a long way. And uh, yeah, it, it's an important thing. I, I want to continue on in Titus a little yep. bit here um, just to, you know, make the point further. Um, and I know right now we're dealing just with women teaching children and uh and 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 other women right but you get after you kind of deal with uh women teaching women and all the doctrine that's um involved in that i mean before i get to that i, I mean i'm just thinking of all the other kind of issues that would come up if an older woman was really taking a younger woman under her arms and teaching her how to be a good wife i mean you, you've got just all kind of practical life questions that come up that i think these guys just aren't thinking through, right? Um, you've got a and and for those of us who are pastors and we counsel people, we really have no excuse for for not thinking of these things. But um, you know, there's all kinds of things that can be involved in um, a, a woman learning to love her husband well and submit to her husband well, right? I mean, how does she respond right. to uh, the decisions of which church to go to that her husband's making? How does yeah. she approach her husband on doctrinal issues that she thinks might be wrong? Um, how does she view things like contraceptive? Um, how do you teach women about uh, abortion and love for life? I mean, these are things that come up, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and all of those require theology. You can't teach about, um, you know, let's say you've got a, a, a young wife who is pregnant and uh, and the, the husband is kind of... Um, you know, maybe uh, neutral on the issue of whether to uh, abort the child or not, and the wife is struggling. And so now you have a situation where an older woman not only is needing to teach her how to uh, love her husband well, but in this case, you also have to teach her why life um, is important to God. Mm -hmm. And so you get into the whole theology of, um, it, you know, of the Imago Dei, the image of man. So it's just when you think about, when you step back and you think about all that would be involved for a woman to really teach another woman how to love her husband and family, and you think of all these little issues, you come to the conclusion that, you know, you really couldn't do this well without first the older woman, woman just having a real firm grasp on all these doctrinal issues. I mean, how, how could you have those conversations if all you can teach a younger woman is how to cook and clean and change your baby's diaper. You know, yeah, that's that's right. not what this passage is is teaching. So you get to the children and you have the same stuff, right? Um, so it, once you get to the 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 children, then the older woman is forced to, and I would I would say not just older, but I would say more mature. Um, you'd probably agree with that. I think more mature yeah. women in the faith right. should be able to teach less mature women, regardless right. of kind of the age. Right. But um, but you get to children and then again, I mean, you have to start with God's word for it to be a, a right and biblical teaching. So then you have um, a woman taking a woman back to 
the Proverbs back to uh, Ephesians again, right? Um, because you need to know what God's expectation for a child is first before you have an understanding of how to train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But then how do you train a child in the fear and teaching of the Lord if you don't know the teachings of God? Right. I mean, that's all theology. I mean, you, you need to be able to teach your children um, at, on their on their level, right? Who God is, who Christ is, right. what happened at the cross. I mean, this is all not just theology, but these are some of the most foundational and important doctrines of the faith. Yeah, t- teaching children is not just a bunch of um, children's stories. Um, you're not just teaching about a bunch of cute animals on the ark with with Noah. I mean, if that's what all you're teaching, you're not going to really benefit them a whole lot. You're just entertaining them. Um, yeah. So yeah, they they do need to be able to teach the Bible. They need to be able to understand the Bible. And if we start to try to create these artificial divisions of, well, you should only go this deep or you should only focus on this. Well, I think you're going to have truncated doctrine, tr- truncated teaching of the Bible to, to children. Look, I, I've seen a lot of examples of um, of women who really do this well. Um, they understand the Bible. And by the way, if a woman is mature and she really understands the Bible, it should play out in her behavior, right? It should play out in her conduct and, and her respect for her elders yeah. and whatnot. I remember talking to one lady who um, I knew to be a gifted teacher, and I asked her point blank. I said, if you were asked to teach a mixed audience, um, uh, basically a church service, at a, at a church service on a Sunday morning, would you do it? And her response was no, because that's that the Bible prohibits that. I said, well, there you there you go. That's that's exactly what I'm looking for. So yeah, it's we 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 got to be careful about just creating these artificial divisions or trying to truncate what a woman can or cannot teach. Now, obviously, the woman's not going to lead the church. The the woman's not going to go through a sermon series. Um, but I know, for instance, with my wife, um, she was discipled by another pastor's wife, uh, Donna Shannon, and and really benefited from that. And it's not that Donna taught her theology that she didn't already know or taught her theology that that I couldn't teach her myself. But it's that when women are discipling other women, first of all, they they communicate in different ways and they have different roles. They come from different experiences. And, and that's the that's discipleship, you know, just just helping them to to see, look, th- these are the truths. This is how it applies into our lives. And when you get kind of this hyper patriarchal kind of system, you know, there's this um, belief that, well, no, the wife needs to be discipled by the husband and that's it. Um, that's going to be very restrictive. Um, that's going to be in many ways, I think, a discouragement um, to mm-hmm. the wife. Um, certainly, the, the, the I'm not suggesting that the wife should be disobeying the husband, not at all, because if she's being discipled correctly, she should be encouraged to greater um, obedience, not not uh, not greater independence. And that was the case with uh, my own wife. Not that we had a, a submission issue, but the more she learned from other godly women, the more she grew in the ways that she could really support me as a helpmeet. And and that's the yeah. that's the beauty of having women discipling women and men discipling d- discipling men. And at the same time, recognizing that within the church, you're going to have. Um, elders and and teachers who are ordained by God to be men. Yeah. And I think there's just a lot of dynamics here to consider, right? I mean, for starters, uh, the the point you made about the the need for that, um, here's the reality. If that isn't happening, if you're teaching against that, you're actually teaching against clear commands of scripture, right? You go, I mean, we're to be subject to one another, we're to correct one another. We're yeah. to sharpen one another, 
And those are, I, I mean, the Bible is, there's a reason the Bible phrases those things uh, in, in neutral language, right? Right. Uh, because it crosses between sexes. Um, and so it would include women with women and men with men. And so I think the moment you, my, my, my problem mostly with that is that although I do think a lot of these people who take the position are probably well-intentioned, they're, they're actually fighting against clear commands of Scripture. And I, I, I want to believe it's just because they haven't really thought through some of these things very well. Right. Um, because if if wives only had to ever learn from husbands, for instance, well, then how are they being obedient to the fullness of the one another's in Scripture? How are they sharpening other women? How are they correcting other people who might be women? Right. Um, how are they edifying each other? How are they using their th that kind of hyper patriarchal mentality? Basically, the, the implication is. Basically, you can only use your gifts and talents in a very restricted area, though Scripture makes it much broader. Um, and, and so in that way, it really attacks the commands of Scripture. Um, yeah, w which kind of makes it a lot bigger of an issue when, when we think about it that way. Um, yeah, and, and so there's just no way to, to get around this. And I think some of the nuances which... Man, I find I'm having to use that word more and more. I don't like it, but um, <laughs> you, you know, it's it. I I will say, you know, I, I'm I I would say I'm for patriarchy. I, I don't use the term complementarian uh, complementarian because, as I said earlier, I think it just helps define the roles within a patriarchal system. Um, and so, yes, I would say very firmly that a wife's primary teacher should be her husband first. That's God's design. Yeah. I think she has um, doctrinal questions. The The right way to address yeah. those would first not even be to come to me as their pastor, but to go to their husband. Um, if, if the husband can't answer, right. then absolutely the pastor's there. But um, I teach women theology primarily on Sunday morning and on Wednesday nights right. and in the, the public functions. Um, and it's not to say that a woman can't ask me questions. Absolutely. That's all yeah. fine. But but there are uh, there's kind of a an, a most appropriate order, right? Uh, so I would say that, and then and then we look at this Titus two thing, and I would say that we do see a priority here for women, and I think this is where um, I might part ways with some guys, even in our own camp, because to be fair to the, the kind of the hyper patriarchy camp, they they do see some real issues. Though I think they're over exaggerated, um, and 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 they go a little further than what ought to be. Um, I, I do think we have some issues. I, I would say that the primary focus of women in the church should be to pour into other younger women, less mature women in the church. I don't think the priority should be um, gathering together a large audience of women. I don't think the priority should be some kind of, um, you know, greater continental ministry or big public ministry. I'm not necessarily saying those things are bad. I, I think when we talk about those things, I have to talk about specific instances because I see some women who I think do that okay. Um, and then I see some who I think 
in the process of that, though the things they say are good, um, when you get to the place where a, a woman is traveling so much to do women's ministry that she's leaving her young children at home more often than not, I, I think that's crossing the line. Um, so I think Titus too, but it doesn't fully restrict all those things. Yeah. Um, I, I think it provides the primary focus, right? right. And we have other right. brothers who see it that way, and I would agree with that. And so I, I think the question ought to be uh, for a woman who's teaching theology, not that we just attack them because they have a quote-unquote women's ministry, um, is rather, you know, is your home your priority, right? Is what you're right. doing right. taking away from the priority of your home? Right. If it is, then you've gone too far and you need to back off a little bit, right? Um, but yeah. if if not, then I think it can be done biblically, right? Yeah. I think you can cross the line, but I think it can be done biblically. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think a lot of this um, is going to be between the individual and, and, and the Lord, right? Uh, for you as wives, um, yeah. also your husband, you know, communicating with your husband and uh, knowing the needs of your family and your children. And look, if your children are grown up, they're out of the house, they no longer need your attention. Um, your husband, um, you know, you're serving your husband and, and making sure that uh, you're serving as a helper to him. Um, if those things are, are being handled, then yeah, these other ministries are are fine. And like like you mentioned, I think there are some women that actually do it pretty well. And you know, women when they do it well, um, they they should never be encouraging women to um, not obey their husbands, right? So I, I kind of gave an example of my wife and and her discipleship relationship that uh, that she's had. Um, there's there's always a sense in which no matter even if uh, women you have. Um, relationships where you're being discipled by more mature women, which I think is healthy, um, it's never to subvert the headship that your husband has over you, right? Yeah. And so I, I think, and I'm just going to use my wife as an example, I think she does this very well. So whether she's listening to a message from someone else, or she's hearing um, something that other women are saying, or, or anything at all, um, if there's something that doesn't sound right to her, she's going to come to me first, and she's going to talk to me about it. And, and that really should be the relationship between husband and wife. But yes, even when we think back to Genesis 2, why was it that God created woman? Because he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper for him. And so the focus of the wife is to be a helper to the husband. Make sure those things are met. But even as you look at Proverbs 31, we see that a woman was not just limited to just staying in the home and not having any kind of enterprise or yeah. business ventures outside the house. Because she can have business ventures, and those business ventures might be a blessing to the home, might be a blessing to the husband. So those are things that I think wives and husbands together need to be very intentional about in terms of thinking through what is it that um, the husband needs from the wife, and at what point uh, for, for the wife is she going beyond her primary duty and trying to make something else the focus. So that's, that's going to be between her and the Lord, um, as well as uh, the dynamics between her and her husband. Yeah, and I think this is important to think about because when you, you know, when when you make comments on social media about women who are teaching other women theology, and you make comments out of the assumption that they're doing these things, you could be guilty of 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 wrong motives, yeah. uh, of attributing wrong motives, right. which would right. just be a form of slander, right. right? And so we can even find ourselves sinning. Um, when we make these assumptions uh, from other people. And so there, there's just so many dynamics that I think would be helpful if people kind of take a step back and and consider. 
Um, again, I'm all for uh, the, the patriarchal system. Um, my wife is very similar. If she even, you know, if she hears another pastor um, preaching something that's contrary to what I've preached or what I believe or what I talk, I mean, she she'll come and talk to me about that. Right. And ask yeah. questions about it. Um, and that's the way it ought to be. And, you know, my wife doesn't take counsel from other women over uh, me either. It would be a similar thing, right? And so if um, like she's reading some good books by some uh, just some trusted women, and if there were things in there that kind of struck her the wrong way or sound a little bit different than what we've talked about or believed, then she'll come and she'll talk to me. Um, and now here's the kicker. Uh, sometimes I'm wrong, right? <laughs> um, it doesn't happen much, but um, yeah. But, it, you know, and, and sometimes... Um, yeah, you know, you've just got to think, oh, well, you know, I didn't really think that through. Um, yeah. But that's the right way to do that. Um, and so I, I think you made a good point, right? Uh, again, um, no one's primary teacher should be some larger platform person. Let me just say that in general. So uh, for the women who we appreciate who have large platform, larger, you know, kind of general ministries, let, let me just say this. Um you know, it would behoove you to understand the danger of feminism to creep into your ministry because Satan always tries to, right, attack us in whatever areas that we might be susceptible for. So don't just write off the the threat of that, right? Um, and, and then I would say, yeah, you know, just be very careful that whatever you do, you're never usurping the authority of the local church elders yeah. or the husband, and I do think that that takes intentionality because we're human, right? right. Um, a ministry is growing. You you have people learning from you. You know, you're getting messages and emails of people that are being impacted by your teaching. And we've just got to be aware of what temptations would come. And so I I, I think that uh, women in our circles do need to be aware of that, you know, and be intentional about that um, and put in things in place where, you know, they're not just dismissing concerns, right? No. And we all have to do those things. It's not just men or women. I don't think anybody, just anybody's primary teaching, men or women, should be outside of the local church. Mm -hmm. um, your primary, uh, the primary place that you are fed should be by the shepherds who are charged to watch over your soul, right? And so if you're, if you're getting it from somewhere else and that's just by your choice, then there's already something that's wrong there. Your understanding of of the local church needs some work, I would say. So not not just women, but men as well. But I think it's something to consider. Yeah um, the the internet the internet is not the church. Um, the, the the church is the church. And when we talk about the church, there's both the universal church as well as the local church. And the Bible supports both ideas. Um, there's the universal body of Christ. Uh, we are one body all around the world, all believers. And yet there are local churches. And by the way, by the way, when I say local churches, I'm not talking about buildings, right? Um, but buildings are gathering places for the people of God to come together. It's amazing you use the word local church and people automatically go, oh, the, the church is not a building. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about yeah. the, the a body of believers who gather together to, to worship together, to do life together, to do community together. So yeah, th this takes um this takes a lot of discernment as well. Um, because I, I would say, for instance, um, you're, you're right. In general, you don't want to, you, you know, you don't want to correct, you don't want to overrule the local pastors of a given church. 
But for instance, if those local pastors are guilty of heresy, by all means, yeah. speak the truth, right? If someone is giving yep. a go false gospel, call it out. That's a false gospel, right? Yeah. So I, I think there is discernment there. And then there are what we have called in the past, both secondary and tertiary issues um, where, you know what, I'm a Baptist. I don't believe in infant baptism, but I wouldn't recommend, and I would tell my wife not to go and correct other people over that matter, because you know what, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be an issue of the conscience. Um, that's a tertiary issue that doesn't divide us as believers, as long as people don't actually believe that infant baptism means that infant is saved. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so there it takes discernment. And, and this is where we get back to theology. Theology is not just what you know, but it's how you prioritize what you know, right? Yeah. And again, for yeah. women to have that kind of discernment and for men to exercise that kind of discernment, guess what? They need to know theology and they need to be able to not only know it, uh, but if they're discipling yeah. others, they should be able to disciple others well in it. And, um, and and similar to men, where we say that men should not be elders and, and teachers unless they're gifted in that capacity, um, I would really um, I would really recommend that women also, um, if they're teaching other women, if they're teaching children, don't just put any woman in there, right? Um, put one who's obviously mature, but also one who has been given some ability to teach, right? And uh, it doesn't mean that she's going to be a pastor of the church. It doesn't mean she's going to be an elder. Um, but um, I believe women who are mature, but also there are women who are just more gifted at communications than others. And uh, yeah. when they use it in the right way, they can be they can be quite a blessing. Yeah. And, you know, and that's always the, the issue is never um, generally just capability. And I think yeah. that this is one of the things that I, I mean, I've I, in fact, uh, someone sent me a video this morning that was, to be honest, uh, atrocious. Um, where a hyper-patriarchy guy was basically arguing that uh, women are somehow less in these categories just from creation um, mm -hmm. than than men. And I, I mean, not only is that wrong, it just demonstrates that that person shouldn't be teaching or putting out anything in public because it just he doesn't have a good understanding of kind of the whole counsel of Scripture. And if you're a pastor, you should have that, right? Um, but uh, yeah, and... You know, if people were asked me, do I think these ministries to women are necessary? No, I don't think they're necessary personally. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they always cross the line. I think they can, but I don't think they're needed, right? Um, I don't think there has to be women's conferences. I don't think there has to be special um, trainings for women to learn how to exposit the, strip, the scriptures. No. I do think some of that even is an overreaction yeah. to hyper-patriarchy. And I just, it, it's interesting how many different spins Satan kind of tries to pull us, right? Um, and so I, I think guys on our side also have to be careful that to fight this kind of hyper-patriarchy mentality that we don't start creating um, what appears to be in the church, this thing that says women can't properly be discipled by their elders, um, right. You know, and so I, I think we've got to be aware of aesthetics, too. So if all of a sudden uh, in our camps, because we don't find anything necessarily wrong with these ministries, if all of a sudden the church on our side starts adopting this mentality of, well, um, basically, we, we need special things uh, for all for all the women. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to be equipped in the Lord. That That's not a biblical thing either. Right. Right. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that we have to be on guard, but that's not to say those things are necessarily wrong. 
right? Um, we've got to think through those things. I think we have to think carefully through those things. But again, you know, Titus 2 is the only place that I'm aware of that I can think of right now that specifically outlines God's desire for a specific focus for women in the church, right? Everything that believers are called to do in general would apply, obviously, to women. But I think it's going to come back to, is this what women are focusing on in the church? Is their primary focus? Um, and, and I would say one of the issues, just to criticize our own camp, one of the issues that I have with some of the broader women teaching women ministries is, um, well, maybe it's a question and not so much a criticism, right? Because I don't know. But I would want to know that these women are giving their local church priority, right? Yeah. Be- because I think that's biblical. And if you've sacrificed, um, if God's gifted you to teach as a woman, right? He's given you an understanding. He's given you a faithful husband. He's given you good elders. Um, he's given you ability to reason through the scriptures well. If if you are sacrificing giving that to the women in your local church for a broader ministry, I, I would say you've 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 left um, what tight the the spirit in, of Titus two, right? So that's something I think to consider. Um, again, that's going to be a conscious issue. It's going to be a, you'd have to know the person intimately and personally. Um, and ultimately, it doesn't matter. It, it it really comes down to their elders, right, and their and their husband. Um, but that would be something I think could be a danger on our side is just to consider that. Uh, so so the focus would would need to be there. But yeah, so all of this, um, the the hyper patriarchy uh, guys, I think they've just blown things out of proportion. I don't think they've considered the context very well, and certainly not. Um, if you want to divide how we view theology, traditionally, the church has divided it this way. There's orthodoxy and there's orthopraxy, mm-hmm. what we believe and how we work it out in our daily lives. That's it, right? I mean, those are the two big categories um, that the church has traditionally put these things in. And so, yeah, I think um, we've just got to be careful that we aren't demonizing, even on our camp. Right. There are some guys that go so far that the implications are it it creates almost a different kind of Christianity. That's a different issue, right? Um, secondary and tertiary issues can become primary, but we've got to deal with those on an individual basis, I, I would say. Generally speaking, what I see on social media are people who are tired of the church adopting uh, the ways of the world, which I'm on board. Right, we we need to push back against that. We need to encourage Christians to stand firm, to be faithful. We need to encourage men to lead their homes truly, wives to submit to their husbands truly. But we just can't uh, overcompensate and and take it to extremes that it shouldn't be. Any last thoughts before we jump into a couple questions we've gotten here? Yeah, I just think of Ephesians uh, four eleven to thirteen once again, um, just to really simplify this. Um, he, being Jesus, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So pastors and teachers are given to the church in order to equip the saints. Well, which saints? Well, the saints in that local church. Um, for what? For the work of service, meaning that you are to serve one another. You are to serve the community through uh, through evangelism, 
And it says this, to the building up of the body of Christ. Um, now, the local church is not necessarily responsible for building up the universal body. That's not how the audience would have understood this. Um, the body of Christ that you're building up is the one that you've been called to, is that local church. So everything starts with first understanding that God is our authority, um, that the word is our guide, and the local church is the realm in which we we exercise those gifts. And of course, within the household, husbands and wives um, are to are to model the relationship between Christ and the church within their own home and how they raise up their children. So understanding those domains, understanding that kind of uh, the, the priority is going to help uh, with the discernment process as to whether we're going outside of that and starting to make something else the priority or not. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think something to be asked by uh, the, the the ladies who were teaching other women theologies in the broader context would be, am am I in my home church more than I'm traveling? Right. Um, and and just to be fair, I would equally say that if a pastor is on the road and doing preaching yeah. engagements sure. more than he's home, he's wrong. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. just wrong. And so I think this applies both times. And so. Yeah. You know, there, there's no time limit on that, but I think with all sincerity, you, you need to be able to ask, am I giving the vast majority of my time to my local church? Um, and e- every church is different. Some churches have far more, um, you could be far more involved, in which case I think you should be traveling far less if that's the case mm-hmm. um, and doing speaking engagements far less. If the church is, maybe they don't have as many functions, then right. maybe you're free to travel a little bit more. Uh, but I think just the question has to be asked, um, you know, am, am I giving the majority of my time to the local church? And I would I would add the, um, the the maturity of the church matters, too. Um, yeah, so if, if it's a, if it's a mature church and there's a there's a lot of people that have been discipled as mm-hmm. a result of good discipleship and uh, they're now filling out roles and helping to disciple others. It's a, if it's a mature church, a in good that point. Way, then then there could be a good argument for people going out yeah. and, and helping other churches to to build a, a similar kind of model. And this is this is something that should be worked out with the elders of the church, yeah, absolutely, uh, and and the yeah. wife's husband, not Twitter people, right? Um, right. You know, so yeah. Well, let let me jump. Let's kind of end this episode. I know we I've kind of rambled a bit, but I, I hope the conversation is helpful for people because it's kind of a new development, and maybe some of these things we just haven't thought through very well. I'm still thinking through bits and pieces of some of this as far as what the greater implications may be. Um, and and maybe we'll dive into some more specific things in the future. But so let, let me jump into a couple questions. So I asked on uh, Twitter if guys had questions. Here are a few. So Eki is going to do a Q&A for us. Thank you, Eki, for volunteering <laughs> or or being voluntold in this situation. Voluntold, yep, that's right. <laughs> so here's one. Um he says, I have a question for your upcoming recording. Uh, recording In the patriarchal camp, it seems that many of those guys, and there's a few listed, believe that women shouldn't have authority over men in the civil sphere. He names a couple ladies who are more involved in kind of the theology of politics and such. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts on, oh, and she says it seems like the claims are that they are out of bound because they're leading uh, in that realm. I'm wondering what your thoughts on this, if you believe male headship leadership extends to the civil sphere as well. Okay. Yeah, I think I think some of this at least is going to be an issue of conscience. Um, if, if you believe in your conscience that this extends out to the civil realm, um, then you, you should 
you should, as a woman, not seek uh, those kinds of positions. Um, and as a husband, discourage your wife from those kinds of positions. Um, personally, I don't have a major issue with it. Now, I think, here's what I think. I think the world operates much better under male leadership. Okay, that's just, I think in general, that's going to be true. And I think when it comes to companies and corporations, I believe that generally that's going to be true. But um, I also have seen, and I used to work in corporate America quite a bit, that um, there were some very, very capable women. And because of their expertise, because of their people skills and whatnot, um, it's very easy to put them in a situation where they have greater influence. Now, here's the thing, though. Um, as women take on greater responsibility within the civil realm, it gets back to our question that we've discussed here in this podcast. What impact does that have upon that woman at home? Because the thing is, there's a price to cl climbing the corporate ladder. Um, I, I've been told by a number of people, and whether it's true or not, I really don't care. But there are some people that have told me that I could have been a CEO if that was my aspiration. I, I had the kind of skill set and the in intelligence and the capability of being a CEO. But there was a point in time where I thought, that's not what I want to do, because I know how much of a sacrifice is required upon a person's life to get that to, to that kind of position. And I'm not willing to make that kind of sacrifice. Now, for me, that was more of a lifestyle decision. But I think for women, especially those within the church, because I understand unbelievers are going to act as unbelievers, but women within the church, you have to really think about what's going to be the impact to your family life if you're actually out there working in the workforce. And um, my wife, um, she was forced out of the workplace while I was still in seminary. It wasn't as huge of a deal because we knew that eventually she would quit quit working anyway and that I would be the primary income earner. Um, but there are times where husbands and wives, wives are going to have to work. I understand that. Um, but you you don't want to put it, you don't want the wife to work in a capacity where now she's tempted to make work her primary responsibility, even in mm -hmm. seasons uh, of her life. So I think I think once again, that takes a lot of time and takes discernment and thought. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I don't make it a hard and fast rule. I do understand, hey, you know, look, if we look in the in this country, there are female governors that are doing a much better job than male governors. Do I think they should be in that position? No. Um, am I going to make a, a big deal out of it and and uh, protest and all that or, or say that they shouldn't be in that position? I'm not going to do that either. But for each individual um, conscience, but also look at biblical principles and your primary duty and responsibility, is it getting in the way of that? Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, I could, This is a good opportunity to show people that sometimes we disagree with each other. Yeah, uh, yeah. I take a slightly different view here. And, and I would first say, um, you know, this is how we should respond when people have different views. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I agree yeah. with most of that. And, and actually, I have no issue with most of that. Um, I think where I might vary on your question a little bit um, is I, I would say, which you alluded to, because of um, the, the ultimate implications of, let's say, having a woman in, um, well, let's talk, about, you, you mentioned, the question mentioned politics. So let me talk about politics. Having a woman in a governmental ruling position, I, I think for me, that would cross the boundaries of how uh, God created us yeah. such that it would affect or could affect the dynamics in the home. Yeah. Now you've mentioned that, but I think um, for instance, when you have a wife in a position where she's ruling over the husband, creating laws that would rule over, I mean, yeah. that, in my mind, that's, <clears throat> that's a, a ruling 
kind of authoritarian yeah, position. Right. I don't think women were created for that. Um, so, you know, so that would be my conviction. So I would say if someone were to come to me in my church, um, a woman who wanted to run for one of these positions, you know, that's what I would say. I would say, I think that crosses the boundary of how God's created you. Um, it might be that you can do the job better, right? But just like when we think of women preachers, right, which are not real, but um, it, it's not an issue of capability. It's an issue of, is that the function and role God's called you to? Now, in Scripture, that issue is way more clear uh, than this other issue. But I think when we really consider um, the, the gifts and talents and how God's created women, I don't think, uh, I, I think that would cross the line for me. So I would say, no, you shouldn't loop in the position. So for that reason, personally, I don't vote for, I don't vote for women in uh, those leadership roles. Um, in, in fact, sometimes that has meant I, I didn't vote for something. Um, yeah. That's just my conviction. Uh, if we had two women for president, that just means I would not vote. Um, yeah, right. because she's in headship over an entire country, mm -hmm. right? And so that affects the dynamic in the home, um, in the system that we're in. So I think those are some of the answers. But I, I would say, again, I would agree with you in this can't be a fellowship-breaking issue. Right. I think, it, in my mind, it's it, it's a, a biblical understanding issue, Um Conscience, you know, we talk a lot about conscience, and that's true because it's biblical. However, sometimes our conscience is more trained by the world than Scripture, right? And so we've got to think about that too. I would say in issues like these, the women who have kind of set themselves up to be um, kind of political leaders and they're teaching in that sphere, uh. It, to answer your question, there are just so many dynamics. I would need to know the person. Um, I, I would have to know more about what they're teaching and what they're doing. Yeah, right. I don't think there's any hindrances on women having political opinions or expressing yeah, them. Right. I don't think there's any issues with women who are um, uh, bringing out theological issues with certain political positions. I don't think there's any issue with women saying... Um, we we shouldn't vote for these political candidates because they have these views which are expressly against scripture. I don't think any of that's a problem, right? Um, so just slight variations there. I know that's a bit vague, maybe for the question that was asked. But well, let me there, yeah, let me let me add one more thing because yeah, I, jump in there. When I heard the question, and I knew the question involved politics, but I was I was actually using experience from. Um, the corporate realm, mm. right? Business in mm. the business realm. And I think there's a difference between a woman that does a, a job well and is elevated in her position because she does a job well versus a woman that actually seeks to become the president of the United States, right? One, one, you don't accidentally, you, you don't just get put into the position of a president because you happen to do other, other work well. You actually have to have aspirations to do that. And that I would discourage. Yeah. I would not, I would not encourage any woman to go out, have those kinds of aspirations. Um, yeah, so I, I think there, there's, there's more agreement there, but maybe some, some variation as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly it's agreement. And so, yeah, yeah I think with that question, um, we, we need to extend some grace to those women if they're otherwise solid. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we forget oftentimes, and this is every camp, um, you know, I, I came out of the charismatic church and to be quite frank, I see this just as much in our camp 
um, as I did in the charismatic camp. And that's because we have a common denominator and that's that we're human, right? Um, we need to be very careful that we don't make um, issues, uh, disagreements more primary than they ought to be. And we've said this a lot of times, right? Um, so yeah, I, I would discourage that. I probably wouldn't, um, I, I, I probably wouldn't send a lot of people to, to, to that lady as a resource, but that doesn't mean that I think they're necessarily in sin. I think maybe they, they need to grow in some areas of just understanding, um, men and women and how God's created us and the roles. Uh, that's kind of how, how I would view that. Okay. That was a really long answer. Let's see if we can get to these other couple, uh, quickly here. Um, all right. So here's the next question, Eki. What should Christians think about conferences that have women teachers? And then, uh, he says, this question is kind of to set up the next, what should we think of solid pastors who also attend these conferences with women teachers? He gives one preacher as an example, um, says he attended a conference uh, with, uh, some other woman speaker. Yeah. What would yeah. your view on that? Be? Yeah. It, it, if the woman speaker is there to speak to women, I don't have an issue with that. If the woman speaker is there to speak to both men and women, um, and we're talking about a theology conference, right? We're not talking about a spin maker or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I would be against that. So, I mean, I, I was at a, a counseling conference recently where um, a good friend of mine, who's a woman, she was one of the speakers, but she was speaking to a women only audience and that's fine. Um, but and and I I would have no problems being a part of that either as an attendee or as one of the speakers. Um, but if they broke if they crossed over that line, I wouldn't do it. And I would question the discernment um, of anyone who thought it was okay to do that. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you. And I'll just give a real example. Uh, G three this year I think has Susan Heck right, if I yeah. remember correctly. Um, yeah. But Susan Heck isn't preaching at the right. conference. Right. Nor is she speaking to everybody, as far as I understand. Um, she's going to be speaking to just the women. And so I, I agree. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Now, it's interesting. What So what about the pastors who would speak? Well, I, I have to admit, I, I've asked this question, and I have not yet come to a conclusion. Because here are my two thoughts on this. If I were... Um, if I were asked to speak at a conference where one, I knew there was going to be some unbiblical things, or two, I knew that there was going to be a, a woman also speaking to the audience, I think there are two things to consider here, and I haven't, I haven't had this issue, so I, I'm still kind of working through it myself. But um, here are the options for the solid pastor. One is you have an opportunity to uh, to bring a biblical message to a group yeah. of people who are hearing a lot of unbiblical things. Right. right. That's a consideration, right? Yeah. Um, I, I understand you, you got to be concerned with what you're promoting and image and things like that. But, but sometimes an opportunity to give a group of people, for instance, the, the true gospel, and you know, they don't have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that outweighs your reputation. It's just something to think yeah. about. Right. I, I think, on, I think that's other, a, that, that's a, that would be, if you're going to do it, uh, that would be a great scenario to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and on the other hand, um, you know, the other thing is, well, if, if it's so unbiblical, you know, uh, the dynamics of having to be so cautious that you aren't promoting any of those individuals. And maybe it's set up to where that's just too difficult, right, yeah. to, to make that clear. I'd never want to preach on stage with a bunch of heretics. 
um, if I couldn't make abundantly clear that I am not with these men. Yeah. Um, and and but you still want to do that in a God honoring way, right? Right. So, yeah. So that's kind of uh, that's that's kind of that question. Um, so we have another question. What is hyper patriarchy? I think we've answered that. Uh, yeah. Where did it originate? I, I'm the first one that I know of that's used that term. I don't know. Maybe someone else has used it. Um, again, I just use that term to distinguish between right. what is biblical because patriarchy is biblical. I don't like um, I don't like giving up biblical terms to unbiblical doctrines. Right. Um, I, I don't like uh, I don't like giving up a love for the rainbow as a sign of God's promise to his people just because, you know, a perverse right. group of people have tried to steal it. Right. I don't like giving right. up biblical terms. So I try to make the false doctrine or maybe the doctrine that's not quite biblical to give it a different term. I don't know. Um, uh, let's see. OK, the last question, and then we'll kind of end this here. Please address deacons and the women who actually taught in Scripture. I don't believe women should be pastors. That is clear. But I also don't believe they're limited in serving in other ways. Feel like tying one of these arms. Oh, it feels like tying one of the arms of the body of Christ behind her back. We've kind of talked to that, but you want to. Yeah, you know, I, I was actually just thinking about this. Um, I remember I led a short term missions team, uh, ministries team into the Czech Republic, and uh, we were there to help there by the name of Lance Roberts, we were going to help lead an English camp. Now, as part of the preparation, we wanted to receive instruction on how to lead in basically an ESL kind of class, because that's what we're doing. We're, we're teaching English as a second language, those who um, who, who vary in, in their level of um, proficiency when it comes to English. And guess what? We had a woman come and teach us. I didn't have a problem with that, um, because it wasn't a spiritual matter. Um, she was teaching us uh, from her own experience in teaching an ESL class at, at schools from her past. Uh, she was telling us, giving us some tips and, and things like that on, on how to do that. Um, so I didn't have an issue with that. Um, but if she were to come and start teaching us doctrine, well, now she's crossed over the line. Um, in terms of women in the Bible who taught others, um, the, the best example I can think of would be Priscilla and Aquila, right? Um, Priscilla was there to help uh, instruct um, Apollos. But she was with her husband, Aquila. And it's funny, when people really want to emphasize Priscilla, they never mention Aquila. You know, they'll say, well, Priscilla yeah. taught Apollos, and Priscilla did this, and Priscilla did that. So I think, I think when you look at the examples in the Bible, um, I, I think the only examples we have of women actually teaching men is when women are with their husbands, all right? Um, it, I would challenge anyone to give me um, a, a, an example that's contrary to that. So that would be my position. I don't think women should be teaching men. And if there is any anything like that, it really should be in the realm of a woman with her husband together serving as a ministry team. So what do you do about Deborah? Because that is inevitably one that comes up. Yeah, Deborah didn't teach. There you go. Yeah. 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 I think uh, when you look at Priscilla and Aquila, I mean, so much get... In fact, if... If you go beyond Aquila and Priscilla together were teaching Apollos more accurately in the faith, if you go anywhere beyond that, you've added to the text because we just simply aren't told any other yeah, details about right. the conversation. 
Right. Right. And so there are reasonable assumptions that can be made, um, but you can't go beyond those two. I mean, you have to make the assumption that they were there together discussing with the polis, yeah. right? Which which means you you can't come to the conclusion that the wife had any um, you know authoritative role in that. Right. The text just right. doesn't lend itself to that. So th- those are texts that they're so general that you you just can't go beyond what's there. Right. Um, but what we do know is that she wasn't alone. She was with her That's husband. Right. With her husband. So, yeah. So I think that answers the question. As, as in terms of deacons, uh, we're kind of out of time. I would just say we actually did a podcast on that. Um, yep. I think so. You can go back and listen to uh, deacons and uh, at least how we view the, the role of deacon and deaconesses. Um, yeah. And what line should and should it be crossed there? So, a- any last thoughts as we wrap up kind of in dealing with all of this hyper patriarchy, you know, versus feminism. Yeah. Compliment. Uh, the, um, you know, the whole term hyper can apply to anything. Um, any position you take, you can slap on hyper and it's people taking that to, um, to, to an extreme that was never intended to be. Hyper Calvinism. Hyper Calvinist. And then hyper Calvinists, uh, I would um, argue, um, don't, don't reflect a true understanding of the gospel. Right. So you Great. can take hyper to, to anything, and so whether the term is official or not, um, the overall message we're trying to get at is to try to be biblical and everything and to guard against overcorrection, which, by the way, is just the natural tendency whenever you're fighting a position is that you go all the way to the other side because you're so fearful of uh, of giving any ground to that side that you're battling against. But the truth is often not nearly as extreme as we make it out to be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm no authority uh, in creating terms, um, and I would say this: I use that term again to distinguish. But what I maybe there's a better way to to distinguish their view because what I don't want to do is uh, even kind of demonize them as people in the name. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you see me posting, I'm for now I'm going to use that term just uh, because I believe patriarchy is biblical, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so I I think these are these are issues that. Um, what I would want to see in my own church is if there were people who took uh, different sides of this in my own church, what I would counsel them as a pastor is um, these are not these are not first tier issues. Right. Um, I'm not even sure that generally speaking, they're second tier. Um, for me, these fall in into, you know, further categories. I would just say talk with one another Um and try to understand where the other person is coming from, uh, share biblical responses and offer some grace. And more importantly, um, I think what I've found myself doing more is I do think this could be a threat in the church uh, of sorts. It can get people distracted. It can call, I mean, people have left churches over this issue, which Mm -hmm. that's bad fruit, right? Um, and, And I've heard of multiple people who have left churches over this issue uh, that that's bad fruit. That that's not good. That's not the Christian way to do things. Um, and uh, if you need to mute people, then do it. If you can't respond well, and I'm not saying I've always responded well myself, um, but we we do need to have grace in those areas and learn to give grace in those areas that are tertiary kind of issues. Um, and when someone just crosses the line too much, right? Then then I think there are times we draw a line in the sand and we say, man, I'm, 
I am grieved you have such an unbiblical position that now you're just teaching falsely and it impacts, uh, you know, impacts the faith. But uh, then we do that and we cut them off. We block the person. Um, We need to block some of these people instead of sharing them around and going back and forth with them all the time. I think that would be more beneficial to, to the church. But um, well, hope that this has been helpful to you guys. I know it's kind of been a bit of a rant uh, for me, um, but uh, we just wanted the dialogue. It's an important issue. It's not going to go away. I think um, don't fall into the trap of um, our, our culture. And I think this is what that is. You know, our culture is forcing people to get out of the middle on just about every position and to go to the extreme, right? We see this um, in in our politics. We see this in education. Uh, I think we've just got to be so careful that we don't adopt that mentality and start applying it to doctrines that it ought not to be applied to. So, Amen and amen. Well, I hope you guys have uh, enjoyed the episode. I hope it's been helpful. Um, remember, we have a YouTube channel for those of you who prefer video. Um, and uh, you can go and register for that. Uh, actually, please do go subscribe. We, we would love to get more subscribers on there. And if this has been helpful to you, please share the podcast around. You can find all of our uh, details in the show notes if you want to send us an email Uh, Just let us know how God used it in your life or got you thinking, or uh, if you have uh, suggestions for upcoming episodes. So until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.